In times of crisis, strong leadership is critical for an organization. But how can a leader lead when facing a terrifying illness? I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Eric Yaverbaum is the CEO of Erico Communications in New York City. In the midst of leading his company through the coronavirus crisis, Eric himself was diagnosed with COVID-19. I recently talked with him via Zoom about how he's navigating his company through these challenging times and to get his advice on how other leaders can do their best in uncharted territory. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. So it's, where it's, are you right now? It's a real novelty to be doing a, a, a show from my bed. I'm not sure if I've ever done that before, so this might be a first. Yeah, from your bed. You are recovering from COVID-19, aren't you? Uh, yes, um, I am. It's been 16 days. Uh, 16 days ago, I went out for a run uh, on a Saturday morning and couldn't finish it. I'm an avid athlete, been working out. I mean, I work out every day for years and it just, bam, it just hit me. Uh, like, never see this coming. I was having trouble breathing. My body was incredibly achy. I had a fever. I went, ended up going directly to the emergency room and, you know, then my, my, my experience began, one that I never wanted to have and I hope that nobody else will have to have and I will implore everybody, please, if you're listening, stay home, stay healthy. It's the best idea. Were your first thoughts coronavirus, Eric? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, 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 it's so much different than uh, having, you know, like a flu it hits you seriously hard. I mean, I've had the flu before. It's nothing like the flu. I mean, they talk about aches. If you've ever had the flu, these aren't those kind of aches. They are just, they're just nasty. And uh, one of, for, at least for me, a telltale sign was my, I, I was coughing. I mean, seriously, just like that, like I've never heard before. You would have thought if you would have heard me, it literally in that first minute, and obviously I sound significantly better now, 16 days later, you would have said that's a guy who's been smoking a pack a day at least for his entire life. Just like that. I could barely breathe. The cough was, I mean, when I was in the emergency room looking around me, it was so surreal. I, I literally thought to myself, is this real life? Is this actually happening? I'm in a tent. I'm not even in an emergency room. I'm in a tent that's adjoined to the emergency room. And I'm looking around. It, like it's a dream. And what I was thinking to myself as they were checking me in, as they were asking me questions for the CDC, um, as they were taking the, the, the test that inevitably came out positive that I did, you know, I tested positive for the virus, was look at all of these people that didn't even get to walk in. I walked in. My girlfriend drove me to that tent. I got out of the car and I walked in. And that is a very lonely feeling, by the way. And every single solitary person who's dealing with any sort of health issue right now who has to go to a hospital, it's now the same all over the country. I didn't know that day what it was going to be like. You go in by yourself. No one's allowed to come in with you. It's a very lonely um, you know, place to find yourself. And while I looked around and I saw so many people, they, they were in stretchers. They were being wheeled in. They didn't walk in. And the coughing and the hacking, it was everywhere. I was surrounded by it. Uh, it was just a very, very surreal uh, experience. And I, I was actually grateful that they didn't have any beds uh, for me. I, I probably would have ended up, you know, being in the hospital for a couple of weeks. I knew nothing about respiratory issues. 
it's something I certainly didn't want to learn about. I know a lot more today, uh, unfortunately, and so do, do a lot of people. Uh, probably my most difficult symptom was, was breathing. I had, just until I'd say about two days ago, uh, I mean, sleeping, you know, sitting up just like I am right now, breathing was easier. I would try to get up and take a little bit of a walk. Uh, for me, walking from my bed to a bathroom was a Herculean task. Uh, I finally, you know, graduated to walking from my bedroom down the hall to my dining room when I would put my arms up in the air and walk to the dining room table and back. And that was exhausting. I would literally be exhausted from that. You're talking about a marathon runner, a lifer in fitness. And yesterday was the very first day I went outside and I walked two blocks, one block east and one block back west. How liberating, how liberating did that feel? Oh, my God. If you never thought about you know, the expression smell the roses before, you better be thinking about that now because I am looking at tulips and cherry blossom trees and thinking, wow, this is like incredible. All the stuff you take for granted. You do not take it for granted anymore. And that's something that I think is very good. Um, if there's good to come out of this, it's just appreciating you know, the things that we never have appreciated before, everything that we took for granted, everything that we, think about it, everything that we worried about tomorrow, everything we worried about. This wasn't on the checklist at all. Most of us have survived everything that we ever thought we wouldn't be able to in our lives to get to this. It's a very different, you know, time that we're in and, you know, the world's changing. Heading into this, did you think you were susceptible to it? Because we heard older people, people with underlying conditions. You're a marathon runner. You're a healthy guy. Um, you, will, uh, you know what? Uh, I, 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 I believe that, you know, why my message has resonated uh, from the first day, because I wrote about this the first day, and my message sort of went a little viral. Uh, you know, I held up a piece of cardboard. You may have seen it, you know, in a lot of newspapers or, you know, my Facebook post went viral. To, just like that, everything changed. Um, no, I did not think that somebody that was in my condition, uh, my physical says my heart is about 20 years younger than I am. Uh, my blood pressure is perfect. I got the, you know, I, I got the body of somebody 20 years younger than me. Uh, I'm, I'm an avid, avid athlete. I do not get tired. I, I mean, you ask the people that work for me or the people who do work with me might be the most energetic person, you know, you'll ever meet. I don't feel anything like that. I still don't. I mean, the, the, um, what I've learned about my lungs, uh, and, and th that was the most frightening part of it all for me. My lungs, my doctor says, will take four to eight weeks to uh, be feeling like they used to. And I do, I do feel, you know, I don't have, my endurance is not the same. Um, but I was up for a few hours this morning and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back in bed again. And this is day 16. I don't, I don't feel anything like I did for 14 straight days. I feel significantly better, but I don't have the, um, you know, I just don't have the wind to, you know, be upright. So the hospital sent you home because they didn't have any beds, right? So you were sent straight home. What they do when you're in the emergency room, you can hear, uh, this is the sounds of the city. All I ever hear is sirens. Yeah. I don't know if you hear that. That's it. That's what we got 24 seven here, sirens. Um, I mean, worse being outside, <clears throat> excuse me, and seeing what, you know, is going on in the city. What happens when they, they test you and you don't get your test results immediately. I mean, uh, the more people now that are getting tested, if you even can get tested, because I understand it's still difficult to do, um, 
it takes day, anywhere between three and 10 days to get the results. So basically, and I have to say, looking around, because they said, you know, we don't have that many beds. Look at, look, I mean, I could just look around. I saw people way sicker than me, way sicker than me. I was actually grateful to be leaving that tent and going home to, you know, rest and recover at home. The, the only thing that would have driven me back uh, to that hospital was if my fever had gone too high. Um, I think any, look, this is, you ask, everybody should ask their own doctor, but you know, when it got up to 101, it was uncomfortable. If it had gone to 102, I would have gone back. It never did, not once for me. What infrastructure did you need to make sure you had in place at home so you had everything that you needed, that you didn't infect anyone else who came into contact with you? Well, uh, there's three of us here. Uh, we've all been in our own rooms. I FaceTime with my son, who's two rooms down. I mean, I'm fortunate my place is, my apartment's pretty big, um, or, or, or I should say big enough. Uh, but I, I hadn't seen my son in two weeks until yesterday. I actually saw him in person. Everything we did was via FaceTime. Uh, we were all isolated, you know, in our own rooms. There was no contact with each other. Um, my son did end up also uh, having the virus testing positive. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the advantage of youth, I, I suppose, much milder symptoms and was better a, a lot faster than I was. How surreal to be in your home with family, but yet not be able to see each other in person. Um, the whole thing's bizarre. I mean, you can't see, but, you know, right to my left, I got, I got, a, I got a beautiful view. I, I, I always seem to be buying beautiful views of, you know, things that I never want to see. I was uh, in September 11th. I paid extra for, unbeknownst to me, when I built my office space out uh, during that period of time, I had a, my view was of the World Trade Center. Mm. I paid extra for that. I got to watch that, unfortunately, right out my window with my hand over my mouth, just gasping. I look out my window at a city skyline with nobody. There's nobody out there. It's a bizarre, it, I, 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 I think of the, uh, the movie I Am Legend where uh, Will Smith is the only one alive in New York City and how they shot that with nobody in a city. That's what it looks like, right? It's right out my window. I got a lot of tall buildings and zero people. I see ambulances, I see police cars, I don't see one person. Hmm. Let's talk about work, Eric. Tell us about Erico Communications and the work that you do. Uh, yeah, we're a, 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 I've run two public relations agencies uh, in my career. Sold the first one 15 years ago. I started this one. I also write books. Um, I thought when I sold my first agency, I was done. I didn't think I'd ever do this again. And then I decided, uh, was actually 14 years ago, I was going to write my second book on leadership, which I did. It was probably the worst book I ever wrote. Um, my other ones are good. Skip that one. Um, uh, and I started a, an, an agency uh, with the tools that technology provided to me virtually, literally, out of my backyard in Westchester. The agency got very large. We opened up offices on the East and the West Coast. It's bigger than my first agency. When I started my agency, the second one, uh, the one that I have now, the one that I'm so proud of, I started out of my backyard in Westchester. I, I, I had a, uh, what was an art studio that I converted into an office and I put technology in it. And I did realize at that time that you could have, it was possible to run a virtual agency. 
as fate would have it, and the, the agency that I'm running now grew up over the last 14 years. We have two offices on the East Coast and on the West Coast, a lot like my previous life. But one of the things that we've done as we grew up um, as an agency is we expanded on the what was once a New York City concept of summer Fridays, where you could work from home. And we said you can work from home, any, no, nobody has to come in the office on Fridays. So we started to use technology a long time ago to connect on Fridays. And that morphed into you only had to come into the office three days a week. You pick whatever two days you wanted to work from home because we had the technology to connect us and we could do our jobs that way. We're very fortunate that way because today there is no choice. We can't go to the office if we want to, uh, but we can do business the way we actually didn't know we were practicing to do business, which is probably going to be the way that we're going to do it for a long time to come. You had some systems in place that's pretty fantastic, but with you as the head of this company, what steps did you need to make sure you had in place while you're sick with coronavirus to make sure that your company doesn't go into a tailspin like your health? It's been said by me uh, for decades, if I'm not the dumbest one in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Um, and that's not just rhetoric. The people that work for me are smart. Um, and uh, my chief operating officer in particular uh, stepped up and you know, took the steering wheel and I was glad to give it to her and had complete faith in her. The people who ran uh, different accounts for us, they're, all, they're stellar. I have incredible, incredible people. And every single one of them was empowered and did step up to the plate, did their jobs, and I'm just, I'm so proud of the way my organization behaved during these past two, you know, two weeks. And I have to say also, you know, look in retrospect, if they hadn't have been able to do what we did, one, we wouldn't have a company. That would be it. Boom. Just like that. And two, it would have been a big, I think, a statement on how we hired. We hired, uh, unbeknownst to us, for an experience like we're going through today. And every person, we, we, we have not let go of a single person. Nobody's furloughed. Nobody got their pay cut. Every single person said, we're all in this together for real and did their job without me as president as, uh, you know, as I had been before. There's, there's no egos. There was no, everybody knew what they had to do and it was just instantaneously kicked in. Yeah. How important is it for a staff to know that their leader has this profound sense of trust in them? Oh, I, I mean, I, I pontificate about that, you know, not because I knew someday it, it would pay off, but because I actually do believe that. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's not, you know, just a pithy line. And if I'm not the you know, dumbest one in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Everybody who works for me is smarter than me. I've, I have more experience. I've been doing this for, you know, I'm close to 40 years now. I, I, and, and that experience does pay off in the real world, believe it or not. But I, I look to them uh, for the new, I, I, I have this reverence for you. Um, I think that in the uh, business of information dissemination, which some may call public relations, I say it's the, the way that information is communicated on behalf of our clients has changed. It's completely different. I mean, to this day, Twitter is probably the match that lights the cycle. I mean, if for no other reason, just look at politics, but I would say many things. The news starts there, spreads everywhere else. And uh, I, I, I was also bullish on social media and digital media, which my peers were not. I said it was going to change. I said someone's going to get elected president from 
social media, somebody will lose the presidential race because their emails will get hacked. Everybody thought that was just crazy. Somebody would uh, uh, start a trend because of Facebook uh, or, or Instagram would become a way that people could, you know, work out together. Nobody was buying that, you know, 14 years ago. Everybody's buying that now. Um, so, you know, that's the thing about it, the reverence that I place in youth and intellect worked. Every person is smarter for me, you know, they stood up to the plate and every damn one of them hit a home run. Didn't have to worry about a single solitary weak link in the chain. You know, kudos to my chief operating officer who really has led for, uh, you know, a very long time now on hiring. I never got a vote. I shouldn't get a vote. She's way too smart, much smarter than me. She hired right. You mentioned that you had a view, a literal view of the 9-11 attack from your window. Can you draw any comparisons in terms of how you reacted to that tragedy, running your yeah. company through that compared to this one? Uh, yeah, you know, September, my offices were in Soho. Um, my building shook. That's how, I, you know, I got the memo of the first plane hitting and, you know, tragically for uh, a good 50 people who were standing with me watching out the window, we watched the second, you know, plane hit. And, you know, we had the horror of watching, you know, the people that jumped. I mean, how do you rec I, to this day, I can't reconcile. I don't even know how to describe how that impacted me. But what I, I was also a, um, uh, at that moment thought to myself, there's no playbook here. There's no book I ever read. There's no mentor I ever had. There's no one ever told me anything about what do you do with, I had about a hundred people working for me at the time. What do you do with everybody? You're in charge. What do you do? And uh, a lifelong fascination with leadership be began that moment because what you do is you act instinctually. Le real leaders can't fake it. Um, it's, you see who people really are in extraordinary times, including leaders. And I, I was at the time uh, a member of and the chairman of uh, the Young Presidents Organization, the Gotham chapter in, in, in New York. And we had a meeting, I don't know how many months after it was, with uh, Dick Grasso uh, in, in his conference room at the top of the New York Stock Exchange. And he was telling us, we, it was a dinner, and we went around the table and we all talked about each of our unique experiences of what did we do when the plane hit. New York City seemed like, the, seemed like the world was under attack. No, we didn't know. Everybody wasn't so connected. We couldn't even get good cell signals. We couldn't talk to each other. The sirens were everywhere. Everybody was, I mean, nobody knew what to do. I mean, and meanwhile, we're watching these buildings. It didn't matter where you were. They were the two, they were the two tallest buildings in the city. You, you couldn't miss that. You had that view. It didn't matter where you were. Um, so I'm at that meeting at the New York Stock Exchange with, with the Young Presidents Organization. We ran around the table and each chairman said what they did. And I was blown away by how different people reacted uh, as leaders from the most heroic stories I'd ever heard to one of the chairmen who dove under his desk and hid. On the 80th floor, he dives under his desk as if somehow being under your desk is going to protect you from anything. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure what I can say positively about that type of leadership. Other leaders did extraordinary things. This is what happens when an extraordinary situation happens. How you act, I believe, it's not learned behavior. It's, it's who you are. And who I am is a hopeful, optimistic guy. When we have some difficult times, 
I want to be transparent. I want to be in touch and I want to have a plan. I want everybody to feel comfort in all of those things, including that my hope uh, of all the good things that will come out of this, uh, my genuine optimism in how we will survive, that things will be different and that's okay. I want to make sure that people who work for me know that. And look, in my particular case, I, I, I became unintended consequence of getting sick. I became, you know, a, a poster child of sort for here's a guy who runs a company who's sick in bed. Uh, I had the opportunity through the nation's press and all the coverage that, you know, there was of me, not about what I do for a living, but how I led. Uh, optimistically, I leaned in to make people comfortable. So when you got sick, Eric, I would imagine you had employees that were concerned about the company, about their own jobs. So how did you express that optimism, that sense of comfort to... Well, you got to be real. I mean, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think, I doubt there's one single listener that's going to say, oh, I, yeah, I felt totally comfortable. I wasn't worried. Everybody, everybody's worried. It wasn't like I wasn't worried. It wasn't like suddenly tomorrow isn't a given. Everything you worried about tomorrow, it's gone already. <laughs> so much for all that. You didn't even have this on your checklist of things to worry about. Yeah, I, I was concerned. I couldn't breathe that well. I, I wasn't going to tell people, hey, it's great. This is the best thing that could happen. Uh, I have to be real um, and uh, not be misleading. But, but I also, it just, it's never mattered what I've been through in life. It, no matter how many times I get knocked down, I definitely will get back up. It doesn't, every time I do it, I'm older too. I get back up with more force. I blow back harder because that's what I do. And if people will follow me into a fire, we will all walk out of it together. And that's the thing about this whole, you know, the, you know, we're all in it together line. It's actually true. We are all in it together. And if I couldn't make that point before, damn if it's not easy to make right now, because we are in it together. So I wanted people to know that. Is it ever a good idea as a manager to pretend things are better than they are to keep morale up or should you never do that? Look, for me, I've, I've lived, a, and look, it hasn't always worked out in my favor. I've, I, I have lived an entire uh, life and career of honor and integrity. Um, for a living, you know, we make, look, I'm in PR, everything's supposed to be, if, you come to, if, if my agency represents you, you got the best sliced bread there ever was. We'll, we'll, we'll certainly, you know, we can frame good words around your products and make them sound good around your brand, make it sound, you know, maybe a little bit better than it is. But I, I do think that, you know, hype is one thing. Uh, misleading is a totally, you know, that's a very, very different thing. I mean, I, when I was sitting in that emergency room, I, I, I felt like for this, this crisis, and, you know, I lived in the shadows of Three Mile Island. That's where I grew up. I watched September 11th. I've, I've been to foreign countries while they were at war. Um, I've been on military bases, you know, in, in countries that, you know, never would have wanted to be in. Um, and, you know, today, uh, I, I think that being um, as honest and literal as you can be about who you are, people see right through it if you're not. Um, uh, yes, I want to I be encouraging. But I also wanted everyone to know, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit scared. I can't go... Superman here can't dive into his own lungs and open up the passageways. 
So yeah, there was a few nights where I was absolutely scared. And that's something I'm not proud to say that I was had anxiety or I was scared, but I was. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with people knowing that. I think people should. I think anything, you know, uh, less than literal honesty right now is, you know, people see right through it. They, 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 they won't buy my enthusiasm. And the thing is about is I'm not selling optimism because it, it's not for sale. It is how I feel. It, and it's the same as parenting. You know, your, your kids will never do what you tell them to do. But they will do what you demonstrate. So don't tell people. Just demonstrate it. And look, here I am 16 days later doing exactly what I said I would do. My whole damn place is intact. Not one person uh, t uh, had a pay cut. Uh, not one, no, no furloughs. Um, yeah, we're making a little less revenue, but we're going to figure it out together. Exactly like I said 16 days ago. And How big is the you team watch, at? we will be a part of and involved in, uh, I call it the antibody army, but you know, I, I have to get a lot of other people interested in it. I want to mobilize everybody that we possibly can to get their blood tested so we don't have to go through this again in the fall or whenever it comes back. How big is your team, Eric? How large of a staff do you have? Uh, we're 110 people, 110 people on both coasts. How can you recognize if an employee is personally having a tough time, if they're not expressing it to you to make sure that you're caring for their needs? Uh, everybody's <laughs> having a tough time. This isn't, uh, you know, so that's my baseline. Um, I, every single employee that I have gets a text from me every single solitary day. Um, I, I, now I'm spending more and more, you know, I would say alert hours doing things just like this conversation is. Uh, we have meetings every single day. We see each other more. I mean, I get, you want to get a meeting with me in my own office? It's hard. You got to get on my calendar and get you in 10 days from now. I can get you in 10 minutes from now if you need me. Um, it, it, there's nobody. You got to stay inside. I mean, look, my point of reference is, is that, you know, my grandparents in, in, in times of trouble were asked to go to war. They were asked to go to a foreign country armed to, uh, to fight. We were just asked to go home. Go home, go to your couch. I, given the choice, I picked the couch. If that's all I gotta do, go home. I've been here, I, I, mean, I, I love my home. I'm happy to be here. I don't have a, I don't have a weapon. I'm not in somebody in foreign soil. I'm just home. Not so bad. And what's your advice for running a good virtual meeting with your staff? How do you do that effectively? Uh, well, you know, everybody can't be talking at the same time, um, which is always a problem with me because I talk a lot. Uh, so uh, I, I was trained. I went to moderator training um, when I was younger at YPO. It was my first role. Uh, I used to run a forum. That's how I started at YPO. And, and you did moderator training. So you learned how to run a meeting as efficiently as possible. I use a lot of those uh, same exact tactics as I do today. Every, everybody wants to be heard. Everybody has questions. When I have a screen filled with you know, staff or filled with a meeting, all you gotta do is raise your hand. One scribe puts you on the parking lot list and you answer and, and your questions are asked in order so that we're all not talking at the same time. Um, in my case, most of the questions are too many, not always. So we just tick them off one at a time. Uh, every, everybody gets their minutes to talk. And it's pretty, you know, I'm a little bit type A, anal retentive that way. But 
when I was running meetings at, at YPO and the training that I got, which I, I say was like Navy SEALs training of business, I was in a room with, you know, 15 powerful CEOs, all of whom were used to having the floor. Yet we had to have a meeting that, that we all collaborated in. How do you do that? That's how I got trained. I use all the same techniques to run meetings to, to this very day. And very you, grateful the Young President's organization. What do you think you're going to be doing differently after all of this is said and done, either as a leader of your company or just personally? I probably, there's, there's going to be more heavy reliance on technology, definitely. Uh, greater appreciation uh, for everybody who's ever cared about me, definitely. Less of a, you know, I'm, I'm much more interested in, in uh, seeing the tulips that I saw yesterday than whatever my paycheck may or may not be next week. I, I think all your priorities, you know, in life change. As I've grown up, uh, and you know, I, I, I've been wealthy and I've been poor and I've gone uh, both. And I've lost the farm a couple times in my career and it was never about the farm ever. I mean, I, when I was younger, I used to think the more money I can make, the better life will be. It's not, it's, that's not what it's about. You know, I think that people will prioritize everything differently now. Everybody's going to get, you know, a really harsh look at the reality of what's priceless and what's not, what money can buy and, you know, what it can. I think there'll be a much greater appreciation for people and our culture and society will change dramatically in ways that are actually very positive. Well, Eric, I am so glad that you are on the mend and able to have this conversation with us. I wish you all of the best. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Eric Yaverbaum is the CEO of Erico Communications in New York City. He's also the author of PR for Dummies and Leadership Secrets of the World's Most Successful CEOs. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks so much for listening.